All right, all right, all right. How y'all doing? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> no, I wasn't trying to be like Kevin Hart. <laughs> I really was like, all right, all right. Let's get focused. Let's get settled. <laughs> right now. You're going to learn today. We're going to learn. Man, I wish y'all could finish them scriptures like that. <laughs> That's what I wish. <laughs> I wish I could talk about Rebecca 3 and start it and y'all could finish like that. Ah, just a tad bit of shade. All right, I love y'all. Uh, I'm really glad Pastor Elwin preached to y'all today because I'm not going to preach today. We're going to do some work today. We're going to do some work. Um, and so we've been talking about the love of God. I love that he's going to talk about the love of God more. Um, I am going to do a little more work in the area of thinking this morning. And actually, we're going to do some work in the area of thinking this morning, okay? And so we've already prayed. We're ready. Here is what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that nothing changes in your life until you are open to change. Amen. Nothing happens in your life until you are open to change. So I'm going to throw some stuff out there. It's going to be really, really hard for some of you to get. And you can check it scripturally and you can check it psychologically, but it is true. Okay. Whatever science then confirms about the Bible, we're like, it's a new revelation, but you can find all of it. God said it first. God said it first. So I use this statement a lot, but we're going to really dig into it today. Your life today is the sum total of the your most dominant thoughts where you live in this moment right now it is not because of your mama your daddy your gender your color it is because it is what you have determined this is going to make some of you uncomfortable, that you are worthy of. That you are worthy of. And I know some of you are going to need a bunch of convincing, which is great, because that's what we do up in here. Let's start with Romans 12 and 2. And so you're going to have to be open to this process, because one of the hard things to understand or to embrace, because, for example, people say things like, um, well, who would want to be broke who would want to I don't want to be broke you don't want to be broke but you have broke thinking so it doesn't matter how much money comes into your life you're going to go back to broke because at some subconscious level that is what you believe you deserve all right, so we're going to walk through this. So I'm trying to just set the foundation. Here are a couple things that you need to understand because it will help you understand yourself. And we talked last week, we used the word metacognitive about thinking about your thinking. We have to become very, very good at thinking about our thinking. We need to spend less time thinking about what other people are thinking and more time thinking about what we are thinking. Why do they do that? We don't care. We want to know why we do what we do, because even if we can give them a full psychological assessment and identify exactly every disorder that caused them to do what they do, we cannot change them. We can only change ourselves. Make that confession. Say, I can only change myself. I can only change myself. So here's the thing I want you to understand about self-esteem. 
Your self-esteem was formed from your formative years between one and three. However you feel about yourself at the core is based on the experiences that you had happen to you between one and three. So if you fundamentally feel good about yourself, it's because of what you experienced at one and three. If you fundamentally don't feel good about yourselves, it's by what you experienced between the ages of one and three. Another big factoring in your self-esteem is what happens from five to seven. What's interesting about that is five to seven is when most of us go to school and we start interacting with people. So what you could have is that you could have grown up in a very safe, productive, happy family, going to school from five to seven, and then had a second layer on top of your self-esteem. Or it could have been reversed, that you had really crappy one through three at home, and then you go to school, and then teachers begin to nurture you, and people like you. And so what happens is, is that before any of us are 10, we have conflicting beliefs about who we are. Very intentionally, because the enemy, because he can't create, all he can do is pervert. So if he can get you to pervert your identity, if he can get you to think that there is not enough money, if he can get you to think that you always should be sick, if he should get you to think that you're not loved enough, that there is not enough for you, that you're always getting on people's nerves, that people are always talking about you when you come into the room, whatever he can get you to stamp an imprint on your self-esteem, because this is really important to understand. When you are hearing negative voices now, it is not the devil. Because the devil is not omniscient. So he does not know what you think until you open your mouth. The devil does not know what you think until you open your mouth. He is not equal with God. It is like not some superhero thing where it's like you are trying to match Superman's strength versus who's against Superman. Give me some. Batman. You're not strength for strength, right? It's not strength for strength. God is omniscient. He is all the omnis. He's omnipresent. The devil is none of that. So when you are hearing negative voices now, it is an echo, not a voice. Now, I just want you to say law and think on that now. When you are hearing negative voices now, it is an echo, not a voice. Because if I can get you under the age of five to view yourself in a certain way, I don't need to talk to you when you're 25 because you'll talk to you. So the life you have today is what you believe you are worthy of. The most amazing thing about that is that anytime you can see, you can hear, and you can understand, you can change. That is the most beautiful thing about you being responsible for where you are, is that you can change it. Now, the challenge with that for religious people is that you spent your life singing songs like Jesus on the main line telling what you want. I love it because like, like I really struggle with some of the songs that we sing because some of the songs we sing even now, some of the songs we even like now, they are anti who God says we are. 
Oh, let me mess with y'all because I know a lot of y'all like this one. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. But Psalms 139 says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. So why are you crying talking about you ain't got nothing to bring? I know it gives you chills and tinglies, but you don't change your life off chills and tinglies. We sung a little bit of a line today. I actually like the song, but here's the issue with it. Lord, make me over. Tamara made a confession. Make me new. It's actually not how it works. He says, I give you the power and then you have to use it. The problem with not fully understanding that is that you expect God to do what he is only called to assist. You're expecting God to pass you the ball and score. You want him to pass it and score. And what he is saying to you is that I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. So anytime you don't like your life, use your tools and change it. Oh, it did. It got so quiet, didn't it? It's great, though, because, you know, when I do workshops like this, I got lots of hang time. I know how this works, so it doesn't bother me. Because here's the thing. The challenge for many of us, and I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, you have to stop using church like a drug. Church is not your high to escape your life. So we want to come, and we want to jump, and we want to shout, and we want to feel really, really good, and then we want to go home and not do any different work. Searcher comes, he teaches, he says, these are the things you need to do to change your finances. I don't care what you wrote in your notebook. If you didn't actually do the steps, nothing happened. I don't care how many times you confess you're increasing. If you don't actually do the steps, even when increase comes, you will lose it because you haven't done the soul work to hang on to what you're praying for. Romans 12, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I told you that I like this translation because it says, let God transform you, meaning God is involved in your transformation process, but he tells you how transformation is going to come. He's going to give you information that you can use to change the way you think. Tell your neighbor, say, if you don't like your life, upgrade your thinking. Tell your other neighbor, say, if you don't like your life, life, feel free free to upgrade upgrade your thinking. So he says, then you will learn to know God's will. He says, so the more you work on your thinking, the more you will know God's will. Now, I'm just going to say this, just up front. The challenge for a lot of you is you don't like to think. You don't like to think. And I can prove it to you because after church, we can have a conversation about nothing and 20 people will be engaged in it. 
But somebody can walk up and say, what do you think about the political climate? What do you think about the stock market? What do you think about so-and-so? And about 17 of them people go fade to black and walk away. You're like, but I don't understand. And so you would understand by walking away? And so one of the things that Pastor Edwin and I talk a lot about is how we believe that it is very important for you to understand how the world influences your thinking. And a lot of the way that the world influences your thinking is by making you so busy and then to escape the busyness of your life, you come home and watch all the new shows. You will never upgrade your life if you keeping up with the plots of seven shows. You know everything that's happening on power. You know everything that is happening on scandal. You know everything that's happening on empire. You, you doing, you still recording Young and the Restless, so you watch that in the evening. You, you know every single thing that happens, but you have not watched one one speech by the president in the seven and a half years he's been in office. You can never be the head as long as you're willing to let everybody else rule over you because you don't want to think. So some of you don't want to read nothing, not even your Bible. As evidenced by the fact that we have smartphones I tell my kids all the time, the one thing your smartphone got on it, every smartphone got is Google. You may not have Siri, but everybody got Google, right? So when you ask me where a scripture is, it tells me you don't really care. Because you wouldn't take the time to speak into your own phone and say, can you help me find the scriptures on love? But you wanted someone, and here's the great thing, if you type it in, 3,700 people have given you the top 27 scriptures on love, but you still text somebody else and ask you for, you cannot be the head if you're not a thinker. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's go to 3 John. Then we're going to get into, I'm going to give you eight steps, but we're going to do an exercise on step five. I'm going to give you all the steps first, and then we're going to come back to step five, okay? It says, dear friends, I hope all is well with you and that you are healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Switch that to the King James for me right quick if you can. In King James, he's switching to it. It says, beloved above all things, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. All right, we've gone over this a lot. Tell me what's in your soul. So he says, if you don't upgrade your imagination, you can't upgrade your life. If you don't upgrade your mind, you can't upgrade your life. If you don't upgrade your emotions, because you have to understand that emotions are nothing more than feelings in action. Your emotions are just when your feelings have taken off in a direction. 
So you have to become a person who's thinking about your thinking. Why does this make me so mad? Why do I feel sad? Why do I think everybody's talking about me? Why do I believe there's nobody to marry? Why do I believe there are no jobs? Why do I believe what I believe? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So today, you are the sum total of your most dominant thoughts. Here's the really great thing about it. Everybody has an area that they're winning in. High five your neighbors say you're a winner. Everybody got an area that they're winning in. Everybody has an area that you're winning in. You got some area that you're winning in. And if you ever slow that process down, you will find the stuff you did to become a winner in that area. The same discipline that it takes to save money is the same discipline it takes to work out. It's the same discipline. It's the same discipline. It just has to be transformed. So that's why you have people who have really, really great marriages and no money. People who have really, really great jobs and hate their spouse. People who have really great marriages but can't stand their kids, most likely vice versa. People really like their kids, but you don't like the person you created them with anymore. But if you ever identify the area that you have won in, you can duplicate it. All right, because success leaves clues. That's why the Bible, God left us the Bible. Yes, this is funny to me. It may not be to you, but it's funny to me. Yesterday, we went to eat brunch. When we ate brunch, there was a guy dressed like John the Baptist standing on the corner yelling at the people. <laughs> I mean, Full, you know, like, I'm not even sure where he found that burlap outfit that he had on. <laughs> and I said to Edwin, I said, here's the problem. He reached in scripture and found an example, but he didn't understand that role didn't belong to him. Nobody is supposed to cry what John the Baptist cried since Jesus has been here. That was the cry that John the Baptist made, which is why you have to be careful about reaching in, pulling out scriptures, not contextually understanding what they whether they belong to you or not. But if you're not a thinker and you just like scriptures and stories, then you go know a bunch of stories, but you're not going to know how to change your life. Well, and he was on a busy street with cars. No people actually walking past him. So I'm like, so not only that, but you misunderstand the basic principle of evangelism that you would actually talk to people and not yell at them when they walk past. I guarantee you he sincerely believed that he was right. Your sincerity is not indication that you're on the right track. Just because you're sincere don't mean you're right. You can be sincerely wrong. Have you ever been sincerely wrong? Sincerely wrong. Sincerely wrong. You is emotional. If you married, you've been sincerely wrong. You have been sincerely wrong. You are all in your feelings. You are talking and you are going off and you are just as wrong as two left shoes. You are just as wrong as you can be. But the problem is that if you don't think about your thinking, once you get in emotions, you don't have yourself to pull yourself back. There are people who got divorced because they couldn't pull themselves back. It just kept escalating. He said something about you. You said something about him. He said something about your mama. You said something about his mom. Then you start talking about him. No, before you know it, and then you're like, well, forget it. We'll just get a divorce. And, no, and at that point, somebody's mind goes, we've gone too far, but you already committed because your emotions run you. All right, so let's look at our steps. Because I always want you to have stuff that you can actually do. 
It's not enough to know that you should transform your mind. I want to help you know how to transform your mind so you can judge yourself. The Bible says judge yourself and you don't have to be judged. It really means that if I understand my thinking, because here's the other thing I want to throw out to you. Just because you're nice doesn't mean you're not negative. That is so important for us. A lot of nice people don't realize they have a very negative mentality. They're nice. They're polite. They don't curse at you. But if you listen to them talk in pressure, everything is negative and it's sad. I can't never get another job. So the same guy who gave you the first job don't have no more jobs? It ain't no men out here. Well, there's lots of people that's married. I told you last week, women come up here all the time and they're like, I can't meet a man up here. Almost all the women I know met their husband up here. Most of them. Some of them brought their husband with them, but a lot of them met their husbands up here in a place that they're not supposed to be any men. As a man or woman thinks in her heart, that's what you have. So if you decide that there are no good men, you will always date the dog. You will, because you have decided that there are no good men. So when a good guy comes up, you're like, he boring, girl. Because in your heart, what you have attached to is a dog. Because you don't attract what you want, you attract what you are. Selah. No, no, no. Stop. Selah. Write it down. Tweet it. Facebook it. You don't attract what you want. You attract what you are. So that means if you are have a victim mentality, you go always be a victim. If you have gotten sympathy for being victimized, <laughs> then you are always going to find yourself in a situation being victimized. If your friends always betray you, that's a fundamental belief you have. Okay, in life, everybody get a couple of betrayals. Everybody get a couple of sucker punches. But your friends in kindergarten betrayed you, in 12th grade betrayed you, in junior college, on your first job, in your first neighborhood, at every church you've been in, the work has to come in you because something in you is attracting that. It's like a magnet. This is the truth. You can take a church full of people. I don't care if it's 10 or 10,000. The messy people go find each other. They got a honing signal. They are going to find each other. They like honing pigeons. They like, wait a minute. I talked to you. You too happy. Uh, I talked to you. You too. Oh, I saw that look on your face when they said it. Let me migrate on over there to you. At the messy people, the pitiful people, the sad people, and the successful people all migrate to each other. So, I want you to think about, I'm going to give you two examples. In exercise five, I'm going to give you a head start that the two examples we're going to use is what you think about love and what you think about money. We're going to use those as our practical examples to walk through. But you think about an area that you want to change in your life. And I'm going to tell you that step number one, the very first thing you have to do when you recognize an area needs to change in your life. Oh, my goodness, my marriage is in a bad state. If we don't do something, we are going to get divorced. Oh, my goodness, I weigh too much. If I don't lose some weight, I'm going to end up on some medicine that I don't want to take. Oh, my goodness, they don't pay me enough at this job and there are no opening positions. They're the very first thing you have to do to change your life is make a decision you got to decide 
And we could come in here and we could be all deep and we could talk about the tribulation and revelation, but that ain't going to do you no good. Because when the revelation, when the tribulation happens, you either going to be here or you not. I mean, let, let, listen, people, people like sometimes they're talking to me, they're like, let's talk about the seven seals. No, because people don't get divorced over the seven seals. People do get divorced because they don't have enough money, because they don't know how to communicate, and because they have bad sex. So if the church has ordained, if marriage has been ordained by God, and the church has been ordained by God, why should you have to go to Cosmo to learn about sex? Ooh, y'all get so... Y'all get so tight sometimes. So you got to make a decision. What is a decision? You cannot even get saved without a decision. Salvation belongs to everybody. But in order to partake in salvation, you must actually say, I believe Jesus is Lord and I accept him. You must make a decision. So what is a decision? A decision is a conclusion or a resolution. It is a formal judgment. Everybody who grows up in the country understands a decision as this. It is a line drawn in the sand. It is like, I moved off the swing when you came over here. I moved off the monkey bars when you came over here. I'm not moving off the slide. This is it. So I'm going to draw this line. I'm going to draw this line. And if you come across it, that's what a decision is. A decision is, in the Greek, it comes from the same word as incision. It means to cut or cut away. So it's like when I decide to do something, I am also deciding what I'm not going to do. Here's a good example. If I've decided that I want to be a virgin till I'm married or I want to be celibate till I'm married, I am deciding against Netflix and chill. Because Netflix and chill works against my decision. I was talking to a young lady who was telling me that she was, it was really good advice. She said she was talking to a young lady who was committed to be celibate but had hickeys on her neck. She's like, baby, let me tell you, that's not going to be a win for you. Because if you letting somebody do that, there is a next step. If I have decided that I am going to get my credit right, then I am deciding to stay out of every sale that Dillard's has. Because I know it's 50% off, but you don't have the 50%. You see what I'm saying? So you're, you're like, but it's 50% off. You didn't have the 100 or the 50. That 50 belongs to the people who called you, got your kids lying about saying you're not home. Give them their 50 and work on your stuff. Fix your credit. Joshua 24 and 15. I try to give people practical examples they can understand. I could talk to you about Daniel in the lion's den, but you ain't never been in no lion's den. And you ain't going in no lion's den. I mean, some of you won't even go to Gentry Safari. So you're not going in no lion's den. Really, you nervous when the Planet Channel come on, when Animal Channel, when you nervous at Shark Week, you not going in a lion's den. But what you will need in life is credit, communication, 
leadership skills, self-control, yes. little discipline for you. Joshua 24 and 15. I love this. He says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, make a choice. Choose ye this day. If it, let, let's insert some things we can understand. So if it seems evil to you to save your money, keep spending it all. If it seems evil to you to stop cussing your spouse out, get divorced. But what you can't do is keep cussing your spouse out and calling me every time the police come. I'm coming over there. <laughs> Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. That's the same thing Romans 12 says. It says the world has a way of thinking and doing things. And the kingdom has a way of thinking and doing things. Choose which one you go live. Now, the challenge for most church people is that we want everything God has, but we still want to do all our own stuff. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like you want to be married and have a boyfriend. <laughs> right. It, you could do it, but the amount of triangulation that you create in your life doing it. Triangulation, triangle, three. The three of y'all got drama. <laughs> So he says, you make the choice. Some of you keep waiting on the Holy Ghost to open up the sky, God to stick his face out and say, get another job. <laughs> That's not how it happens. You praying over tests you don't study for. You at, listen, at least help the Lord be able to call it back to your remembrance. Maybe you didn't get to study the night before, but you ain't been to but one of the classes in 13 times. What is supposed to be called back to you? Listen, the only thing that can be called back to you is them episodes of power that you watch when you should have been studying. Number two, after you make a decision, you have to get a vision. Let's go to Habakkuk 2 and 4. Listen. Sometimes you don't know where you're going. You just know where you can't stay. Sometimes you don't know the tools for a happy marriage. You just know you can't keep living like you're living. Sometimes you don't know all the steps to change your finances. You just know you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. So the first step is the decision because when you make the decision, you will become aware of the opportunities to solve the problem that you didn't see before. I'm going to prove it to you. Anybody ever got a new car? And once you got the car, you see the car everywhere? Or you decide you want a car and then you see that car everywhere? Because whatever you decide upon, you begin to notice it when it comes into your view. It's the reason that we can be in church and hear the same message 15 times. And on the first week, angels like, oh, I got that. And then the next, then in 14 weeks later, search is like, oh, my goodness. See, he talking about something angel got the first time because your receptivity is going to determine what you pick up on. That's right. Amen. So I got to make a decision and I got to get a vision. I have to define it. A lot of times we talk about this. You say, I want a better job. What would better look like? You would first have to know what you like about the job you have 
and what you don't like about the job that you have. Because if you're not clear about that, then better could just be more money doing the same work that you hate doing. So initially it seems better until you got to go to work and hate it every day. So it's not enough to know better. Better is a broad term. I want more money. A um, dollar? Because that's more. This is a challenge with wives because wives sometimes believe that husbands should read their mind. I like him to be more romantic. What does that mean? What does more mean? Because if he don't do nothing and he bring you a rose, that feel romantic to him. No, no, that's the truth because we always start, we always working from our starting point. If you say, I want you to be more romantic, you've never done anything, and then you bring me a rose, you feel like a superstar. So you have to define it. Women get in a lot of trouble with this. Listen, for years now, Pastor Edwin and I, we just, I make a list at the beginning of the year. I make a list of things I would like to have in out the year from as, from as low as $50 up to if you win the lotto or you find an aunt who can come into a lot of money. Like, wherever it is. Why? Because I want to be surprised. But you can't say to somebody, you can't say, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, I don't care. Just anything. I don't know. Just the thought that counts. And then he heard you complaining because the vacuum don't work and you get a new vacuum and now you mad. That's on you. He was trying to help solve a problem that you had. You got to say really clear things like this. Do not ever buy me any appliance for any gifts. A vacuum is not a gift to me. But you realize that for people who are high on acts of service, that a vacuum is a gift to them? I got a friend, our friend Plachette Benford, she loved to get stuff like that. I'm like, what do you want? She was like, oh, I hope they give me a vacuum. What? <laughs> and that's why you can't live in this vague place of not knowing what you want. I want a good man. What's good? Because if you say you want a good man, and then the guy who go to work every day and save his money, you say he's boring, but you keep dating the guy who smoke a little weed, wear sagging pants, and don't go to work all the time, then you got to be honest about what you think. Listen, this is the truth. I always tell this story. My, some, some of y'all haven't heard it, but I'm going to tell you. My brother that I looked up to all my life, my brother was a drug dealer. Not only was he a drug dealer, he was the biggest drug dealer in our area, right? So early on, because I love my brother so much, I used to love a thug. Love. In shock, right? <laughs> I got you later. Wait till you teach. Oh, wait till you teach. I got you. I used to, like, and it didn't matter how I was dressed. It didn't matter where I was, wherever I was, if there was a guy who broke the law, he found me in the room. <laughs> I wasn't shocked. I was like, I'm that chick. So then, like, I went to college and I started growing up, right? True story. So I go to college. I date a guy. He's a really big drug dealer. I get a call that he's been arrested that he's been arrested with a lot of weight. He's going to go to jail for 23 years. As I'm driving the five hours to see him, I'm asking myself, is this the kind of life you want to live? <laughs> 
Because if you date guys who move big weight because it's fun, at some point, they going to get caught. Do you want to spend your Saturday, and then by the time I got there and I saw him in that orange suit and all that, I was like, listen, <laughs> the way my future set up, <laughs> I can't really do that. I left that. I ain't never date no more. And now, hold on. It took a while before the scent got off me. I had made a decision, but I was still so entrenched in who I used to be. It took a while. And I started saying stuff like this. When they, you, like, where do you keep your money? Because if you don't say bank, I don't want to date you. I don't want to date nobody who don't keep their money in the bank. Because if you don't keep your money in the bank, I know what that means. I keep my money in the dryer. No, dog. Huh? <laughs> I'm done with that. I had to get a vision. So my initial vision is that I want to live good, right? Then I had to get a vision of what living good looks like. And that living good to me did not look like getting a call that told me you was in jail. But for some people, that's life. After you get a vision, Habakkuk 2, ah. Wrong, that's the wrong scripture. I think it's two and one. What's write the vision, make it plain? Two and two. Go back to write the vision, make it plain. Now they tell us to write our vision down. Psychologists then came back and confirmed what God said to Habakkuk. He said, write the vision and make it plain. The research tells us that people who write their vision down are 75% more likely to live out the vision than the people who just hold it in their head. Write the vision. Put it in a place that you can see it. I love it. It says, write the vision and make it plain so he, that may, he may run that readeth. What it really means is this. Write your vision down and make it plain so you know which way to run. If I don't have a clear vision about how much money I want to have, if I don't get my money in assignment, it'll go anywhere. If I don't get my marriage an assignment, it'll end up anywhere. Like, for real, you could be like, I just want to be married a long time. You should talk to some of the people who've been married a long time. They don't like each other. <laughs> Is that what you want? You just want to be married a long time? You just don't want to get a divorce? I'll never forget, on our, on our honeymoon, we were on a boat, and there was this couple who had been married. They looked like, they looked, we were 22, so they looked really old to us, right, at the time. <laughs> no, I think they were probably 60. And the whole time they were at breakfast, they never said a word. They just grunted at each other. Like, literally, he would grunt, and she would hand him the salt. And he would grunt again, and she would hand him the And we looked at each other, and we were like, okay, that is not the goal. Right, right. So it's not enough to be like, I want to be married a long time. I want to be married. What does that look like? All right, write the vision. Number three, you have to get resourceful. I'm going to speed up just a little bit. You have to get resourceful. One of my favorite sayings is this, is that if you get resourceful, you will find the resources. Anybody who gets resourceful always finds the resources. Resources come when you get resourceful. It's interesting because you can take most moms who say that they can't afford to do something to, for themselves, let their kid need it. And resourcefulness, resource, they people get... Um, Champions are resourceful. They find a way to win. They find it. They dig it up on the inside of them, and they literally say, when you take two evenly matched teams, 
the team that's going to win is the team that's most mentally prepared. If they're evenly matched, and you can see this if you watch sports enough, you can watch people's mental toughness break down. You can watch. Pastor Ellen said this morning, he said, because anybody can cheer when all the baskets going in. Anybody can cheer when we got the touchdowns. What do you find on the inside of you in adversity? So you have to get resourceful. So if you don't make enough money, you got to quit complaining about how you don't make enough money and begin to ask, how could I? One of the most powerful questions you can ever ask yourself is, how can I? Instead of saying we can't, you have to say, how can we? Our family live, we have five kids, we live by how can we? How can we do everything that is on this schedule this week? Sometimes we have to get resourceful. Sometimes we have to get Tamara involved to help run a play, to make sure everybody gets where they need to go. Sometimes I have to call another mother and say, hey, if you'll pick up my kid today, then I'll get the kids next week. But you get resourceful. I can't just sit at home and go, oh, we got too much stuff to do. Let's just all stay here and watch TV. And the truth of you is that the truth of for some of you is that in adversity, you use TV or church to escape. So you got a lot of problems that you can't figure out what to do. So you just sit down and binge watch Law and Order. Well, unless you was trying to solve a murder, I don't really know how that's going to help you. Some of you use wine. Some of you use some other stuff that you shouldn't use. So let's look at this um, scripture. Oh. Start where you are, use what you have. We see Jesus being resourceful. I didn't write it down, but we see Jesus being resourceful when he needs to feed 5,000 people. He has two fish, five loaves of bread. Basically, he got two pieces of fish from Catfish Hole, five hush puppies. But he doesn't look at what he doesn't have. He looks at who he belongs to. And it begins to break and it begins to multiply. See, there are supernatural things that happen when you get resourceful. When you start making phone calls, God can have the right person on the line at the right time to give you what you need. When you start applying for the job, God can have the right person see your application and just be like, it's something about them. I'm going to go ahead and interview them. But that's not going to happen for the most part if you don't apply. you just like, oh, I need a new job. Let me watch Law & Order. Like, well, it's interesting because whenever people come to Pastor Edwin and I, listen, if I, I know what you're working on by what you're reading. So when people come to me to talk about marriage stuff and you don't have no marriage books, you ain't working on your marriage. You're not working. On, you may want a better marriage, but you're not actually working on your be- marriage because if you're working on your marriage, even if you don't like books, I should be able to scroll through your Google history and see that you have done something besides go to Facebook. I should be able to see that you pulled up some articles like marriage today and how not to kill your husband. And like, you know, I mean, you, you, like you're, there's work you're doing, so you have to get resourceful. Number four, control your environment. You become what you behold. I looked up to my brother. I spent a lot of time with my brother. So you attract what you are, not what you desire. So even though I never actually sold drugs, but that was two times, what I began to attract, (laughs) what I attract. (laughs) I didn't tell y'all until the statute of limitations was over. You can call whoever you want to. (laughs) The statute of limitations is up. (laughs) 
but because I was attracted to that kind of fast life, that kind of always being on the brink of trouble. That's what I attracted in my life. But it's, a lot of it is because I st- kept seeing it. When I came to college, I didn't see that. <laughs> And so my vision began to shift. Oh, there are other ways to make money besides this. There are other ways to live besides this. Here's another really great example. Anybody grow up in the country in the neighborhood? You grow up in the country in the neighborhood. In neighborhoods, there are no covenants. So the people can put their boat in the front yard. They got their car from 1972 because it was their first car. The dog sleeping in it in the wintertime so they not cold. You live up here long enough, you can never live like that again. In fact, you live in a subdivision long enough and a car on the street for two days, you like, who car is that? <laughs> you calling the police. You like, listen, this is a strange car been parked over here on the street. Why? Because your environment, you live in a neighborhood. If you live in a neighborhood with no covenant, some people drag grass is mold. Some people grass is die high. But you live in that neighborhood. When you move in that subdivision, that pressure of seeing people mow their yard on Saturday started shifting you. You was like, oh, we supposed to mow our yard. Because I grew up, people mow their yard every two weeks. I, we got our first house. I was like, these people religiously mow their yards. So you become what you behold. You become what you behold. So if you want to upgrade your life, you have to upgrade what you're beholding. If you want a better marriage, you got to hang with people who like each other. You cannot hang. If, if I don't like my spouse and you don't like your spouse and we hang together, nobody marriage go get better. You got to find a couple that likes each other. And you got to learn from them and pay attention to them. One of my favorite stories is Sister King. Sister King, she was my mentor in marriage. She is the reason I did not catch a charge. Because I was going to go to jail. Because he was not going to be satisfied <laughs> until I did something that got me on TV. I will never forget this most profound thing ever in my life. I was sitting sitting at Sister King's house. She was sewing. I was talking to her about yet another fight that Edwin and I had had because he was always wrong, you understand? And so what happened is, when you preach, you tell it your way. Right. (laughs) And so I was telling her, I was telling her very matter-of-factly, right? I was telling her how he had said something and I had said something. And I was telling her. And I've always been the kind of person, if you ask me, I'm going to tell you all of it. I don't tell it pretty for me. And I was like, and then, and I was so, I was talking to her. And, like, she was a missionary and stuff. And I was, she was like, what would you say? I was like, I cussed him out. What else would you say? And she said this thing that changed my life. She said, do you know that just because he does that, you don't have to cuss him out? I remember it was like a light bulb moment. I said to her, what, what would I do? <laughs> What, what, like, what, I, like, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. So, like, walk me through. So, he talked crazy to me, and you're saying that when he talks crazy to me, I shouldn't talk crazy back. She was like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. She, I was like, what should I do? And she was like, you should pray and be quiet. I was like, okay, because I looked up to her because she had a good marriage and her husband really liked each other. So, I tried. Man, that next day we got into it, I lasted eight seconds. I was like, I was like, all right, so here's what happened. And she, this is what she said, try it again. 
try it again. And so because I kept seeing it and I would go over there and her and her husband wouldn't be engaging with like that, I learned how to be quiet. I learned in most cases, I don't have to say everything that I think. And then Edwin got saved and it got better. <laughs> no, I'm fine. Thanks, musician. Yes. Number five. You have to be honest and self-reflective. Oh, I need to give you the scriptures for number four so you can look them up. Proverbs 12 and 26, Proverbs 13 and 20, and then the one we should actually look at. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 33. I just talked about this, but you'll understand it. Proverbs 12 and 26, Proverbs 13 and 20, 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. Look at this one. What does it say? Whoever you hang with, you go be like. That's why they say if you want to look at your life, all you got to look at the five, is the five people you spend the most time with. You want to know where you'll be in five years? Who the five people you spend the most time with? You better ask yourself if you want to be stuck with them forever or you better make sure they're going somewhere. Now, number five, be honest and be self-reflective. Psalms 51 and 6. This is so important. I'm going to do these, and then I'm gonna, we'll do these, and I'm going to come back to five, and we're going to end on our exercise today. And if we don't get through all of the exercise one, we'll pick it up next week, okay? Are y'all learning something today? Yes. yes. The thing I want you to learn is how to manage yourself, how to identify yourself, how to change your own thinking. One of the things is, is that when, when Taylor played basketball um, in high school, one of the things that we would not let her ever do is talk about what the refs did wrong. Because we believe that it created, not that we don't believe the refs did something wrong sometimes. We believe it created a victim mentality. Then everything in your life is always about what the refs didn't do. So our question would be, what could you have done so that even if the refs had called it wrong, y'all still could have won? Because if you up by 40, the refs can't cheat you out of that unless they start running, putting the baskets in themselves. So what could you have done? And so you have to understand that you have to be able to be honest with yourself about where you're located, what you're thinking about, what happens. A lot of people who are nice outside say a lot of stuff to yourself that you would not say to other people or let someone say to yourself. Like if you're calling yourself names, I'm so stupid, I'm so dumb, I can't believe I'm that ignorant. You should not talk, you, that is not how you should be talking to yourself. It means you have a bad self-image and you have to be honest with God and say, this is how I feel about myself and we need to fix it. Let's go to um, Psalms 51 and 6. Psalms 51 and 6. It says, Behold, thou desires truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. It really looks like this. Jesus said, he said, if you would acknowledge you were sick, I could heal you. But because you won't acknowledge that you're sick, because you won't acknowledge that you have an anger problem, because you won't acknowledge that you have low self-esteem, because you won't acknowledge that you have a poverty mentality, because you don't acknowledge that you don't believe you're worthy of love, because you won't admit it, God can't heal you. In Deuteronomy 8 and 3, don't go there, it says he led them in the wilderness so they would know what was in their own heart. Life only gives you a chance to see your reflection. 
life, the situations you keep facing, the things that you face over and over again, they are letting you see your reflection. Like if you're a helper, people who are helpers, people who are helpers who are naturally gifted as helpers have to work really hard not to become enablers. And if they're not careful, the validation that you're getting out of helping people will end up that everybody in your life is somebody who always need help. And then you'll find yourself saying, well, who's there to help me? Because you have created an environment where your value is established by people who always need help. And that is tiring. Like everybody who call you got a problem. So you got, right, nobody can just say hello. Everybody like, I'm in, I'm in jail. I'm out of money. I'm about to get evicted. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, like, like. If that's what's happening to you, it is because there is something in you that has positioned yourself to need to solve people's problems. Number six, forgive yourself and others. A step to change is forgiving yourself. Blame is the most disempowering emotion, thought process it is. Blaming people takes away your power. Blaming you keeps you from using your power. The Bible says forgetting those things which are in the past. I was talking, I was doing some work with clients this week, and I was asking them, you know, like, what do you think about the past? I don't, I don't think a lot about the past. Like, it, like, it's the reason that I can tell my stories without shame. I really don't care what you think about who I used to be. I did the best I could with what I knew how. <laughs> So it would be crazy for me to be beating myself up for a decision that I made when I was 25 when that was all the knowledge that I had. I did the best I could with what I had. So I don't beat myself up over the past. Forgetting those things which are behind. That's why people can't get through, get over stuff in their marriage. We have a rule in our marriage. We like literally what you don't get to keep doing is bringing up stuff from the past. Now let's talk about it. Let's work through. But what I'm not having a conversation with you about is something that happened in 1997. I'm not. You should get healed. Go see a counselor. I'm not walking through this yet again. Yet again. again. I'm not doing it. I remember that time. Um, No. What we're going to argue about in this moment is this moment. If it's important, bring it up then. That's another one of our rules. Like, you don't get to say, because married people love to do this. Like, somebody does something, and you don't call them on it, right? Because you say you're trying to be nice, but the moment they do it, then you like, but last week you did. We like, we like, out of bounds. No, 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 no. If it bothered you last week, you should have said something. Because all I'm at liberty to discuss is this moment right here. Next time you better grab it. It makes people, you better grab it. If you got something to say, you better say it. You got to forget the past. You got to move on. Tell your neighbor, say, you got to move on. The best athletes, the people who lose money and rebuild it, they're the people who let the past go. You miss the fr- if you miss the first free throw and you don't move past it, you will miss the second free throw. You subject to miss the next 25 free throws because you're thinking about the first free. You got to be able to shake it off. You miss the pass. You miss the promotion. You miss the opportunity. You got to shake it off and move forward. Because you cannot learn when you're stuck on where you messed up. Number seven. Pastor Edwin and Chris talked about this last night, I mean, earlier. Become a thankful person. 
Practice Thanksgiving. One of the things, I believe you got to learn how to live like this. I'm thankful, but I'm still in expectation. I'm thankful for everything the Lord has done. I'm thankful that, that we got this house. I'm thankful that my kids are healthy, even though they eat up all the food. I am thankful that we can buy more food when they eat up all the food. I am thankful for the life that I have. It's raining. I'm thankful I'm not walking. It's hot. I'm thankful I have air conditioning. Become a person who practices thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving sets us up to be able to see what God is doing next. If you're not a person who practices Thanksgiving, like in some people, the way they're born, they're naturally pessimists. People who are naturally pessimists have to work harder. Like I'm naturally an optimist. I'm just like, I'm like, yes, we can make it. Like the glass is half full. All we need is half full. We can all get a sip. We'll be okay. Like Pastor Edwin is naturally a pessimist. He like, not now, but he'd have been like, we go die because either there ain't enough water for us. <laughs> no, no, no. Here we go. He'd have said, either there ain't enough water for all of us or we go get a disease from drinking after them. Like, like he just, <laughs> he's, he's naturally been, if you have personalities, there are personalities that are more melancholy. You have to be a lot more careful. And then people who don't talk, People who are introspective have to really pay attention because you're saying a lot of stuff to yourself that don't nobody know you're saying. And then you think everybody else thinks about that. Like talkers, we get on your nerves, but at least we tell you what's really going on. Like we're, we tell you how we really feel about ourselves, but the people who don't talk, then you don't, they don't say that they had a bad day, that they're, feeling in, um, that they're feeling insufficient today, that they're feeling like they're not enough. And so those of you who don't make it a habit to talk, you have to be so conscious of your thinking. Because the other problem is that when you don't say stuff out loud, have you ever said something when you said it out loud you realized it was stupid? But you didn't realize it was stupid as long as it was playing on a reel in your head. In your head, it sounded really, really smart. And then you said it out loud, and you're like, oh, no, we can't do that, right? That's the danger with keeping everything on the inside. So be a person who is thankful. The scripture for that is a bunch of them, Psalms 103 and 1. It says, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and don't forget all his benefits. So I'm thankful to the Lord for every single thing he has done in my life. All right? And number eight. Take consistent action. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And a lot of times the problem with church people is that church people think because they came to church, they did the work. You came to church and you got the instructions. That's not the work. You can come to church. We can pray for your marriage, right? That's part of the work. But if you don't go home and learn how to communicate better, then nothing's going to happen. We can pray for you to get another job, but if you keep losing your jobs because you don't come to work on time, then until you manage timeliness, you're going to keep getting fired. We're going to keep praying. God love you. He'll give you another job, but you're going to keep repeating the cycle. So those are the steps. Now we're going to come back to five, and we're going to do a, uh, just an exercise because I want to teach you how to be able to identify being self-reflective and what's going on. All right, cool? In about 15 more minutes. Y'all good? good? You learned something? So in this, this area of self-reflection, here's something that's really important. You have to recognize that you have created the condition in your life by your thinking. 
Jeremiah says it like this. It says, if you trust in the Lord, you won't see evil when it comes. But if you trust in flesh, you won't see good when it comes. So your perspective is always going to determine what you see. Right? So that's really important. So if you created the condition, you can change the condition. So I'm going to give you, we're going to walk through this first exercise because we're doing a lot of work in this church this year around money and people getting financially free, making sure they have their life in order because as we have said many times before, GoFundMe should not be your burial plan. You should not have to take up money if somebody dies. You should not live paycheck to paycheck. And you should know the difference between a real emergency and life. Here's an example. If you have a car, needing tires is not an emergency. It's just a part of life. Getting tires should not jack up your finances for six months. And so that's the reality people live with. But what we know is that how people deal with money is how they saw money go in and out of their life unless they learn something else. The people who grew up poor and aren't poor, they learned something else. They learned how to build on, they learned how to dismantle mindsets. So here's your statement. You're just going to finish it. Just write it on a piece of paper or in your phone or whatever. So I'm going to give you a statement and you are going to finish it. You don't have to say it out loud. We are going to do a little group work, though. Individual, partner work. So here's the statement. My biggest fear about money is no dissertation just what comes up all right did you get something yes no Yes. Whatever you wrote down is the thermostat that controls your money. Your bank account, it reflects what your thermostat says. That's sometimes hard for people, right? So whatever I think about my biggest fear about money, I was talking to one of my friends, really successful. I said, what's your biggest fear about money? She, said, she immediately says, the more I have, the more people I have to take care of. So as a result, she caps herself off at a certain point because she's like, I'm already taking care of this many people. If I make more money, I got to take care of more people. I said, well, what happens if you reframed your responsibility to people? All right, I, I kind of want to let anybody, Nietzsche, can I use you? You're a counselor. So you can stay right there. So what, what did you write down? My biggest fear about money is running out. My biggest fear about money is running out. When that is the tape that plays, you run out. Because you attract what you are not what you want. If your biggest fear is about running out, you are always going to run into circumstances that cause you to run out. Does that make sense? Because we become what we behold. Now, 
People who have a mindset about running out grew up in an environment where it wasn't enough. Because people who grew up in an environment where there was enough don't worry about running out. And I am never worried about, like, we may not have had a lot of money. We had a lot of food. We was always going to have food. I have no fear about food ever because I have never sat down and it wasn't any food. I have never brought five friends home and my grandma was like, I don't know what we go do. We always had food. Whatever you had in abundance, you don't worry about running out of.